Let's have God's Word open us up to Ruth chapter 3, and we'll be reading the whole chapter, verses 1 through 18. So if you're able, please rise for the reading of God's Word, Ruth chapter 3, 1 through 18. Now this is the word of the Lord. Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, should I not seek rest for you, that it may be well with you? Is not Boaz our relative, with whose young woman you were? See, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Wash, therefore, and anoint yourself, and put on your cloak, and go down to the threshing floor. But do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. But when he lies down, observe the place where he lies. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down, and he will tell you what to do. And she replied, All that you say I will do. So she went down to the threshing floor and did just as her mother-in-law had commanded her. And when Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was merry, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of the grain. Then she came softly and uncovered his feet and lay down. At midnight the man was startled and turned over, and behold, the woman lay at his feet. He said, Who are you? She answered, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. And he said, May you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You have made this last kindness greater than the first, in that you have not gone after young men, whether poor or rich. And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask. For all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. And now it is true that I am a redeemer. Yet there is a redeemer nearer than I. Remain tonight and in the morning. If he will redeem you, good, let him do it. But if he is not willing to redeem you, then as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Lie down until the morning. So she lay at his feet until the morning, but arose before one could recognize another. And he said, Let it not be known that the woman came to the threshing floor. And he said, Bring the garment you were wearing and hold it out. So she held it, and he measured out six measures of barley and put it on her. Then she went into the city, and when she came to her mother-in-law, she said, How did you fare, my daughter? And she told her all that the man had done for her, saying, These six measures of barley he gave to me, for he said to me, You must not go back empty-handed to your mother-in-law. She replied, Wait, my daughter, until you learn how the matter turns out, for the man will not rest, but will settle the matter today. Join with me once more in prayer. <clears throat> Teach us, Lord, full obedience, holy reverence, and true humility. Test our thoughts and our attitudes in the radiance of equal purity. Cause our faith to rise, cause our eyes to see, your majestic love and authority. Words of power that can never fail, let their truth prevail over unbelief. Lord, we ask that you would draw near to us this morning as we draw near to you. We pray this in your Son's name. Amen. 
George Wing, uh, who many of us have probably never heard of, wrote one of the greatest modern love stories of our time. Some would say that the artistry and genius of the narrative was almost Shakespearean in nature as it winsomely married tragedy and comedy together to portray a peculiar love story that in some ways is very foreign to many of us, yet at the same time leads us to desire the depths of its bold exploration into the human vulnerable desires for love, to love and be loved. In his story, the lead male character Henry falls in love with a woman named Lucy. And unfortunately, Lucy was involved in a terrible accident that has left her unable to form new memories. So every morning, Lucy wakes up believing that it's the 13th of October and forgets everything that she's experienced that day, including falling in love with Henry. So the story continues, and it it tells us how Henry faithfully pursues Lucy each day and makes her fall in love with him again, woos her, pursues her, convinces her, and reminds her of how much he loves her. And if you want to find out how this story ends, you can watch uh, Fifty First Dates on Netflix tonight. And uh, I don't know if we're allowed to say Netflix. Um, We're not affiliated in any way. We have no compensation uh, coming in for uh, mentioning their product. But uh, I guess uh, we can have our uh, legal team look into that. (laughs) I'm just kidding. But it's a good movie, and it's a funny story, and it's not a typical love story that we may expect. And... Similarly, as we look at our text today, uh, many of us might want to think that uh, the story of Ruth uh, is, is, is typical. It's about love and it's about passion and there are these, all these redemptive qualities. But in another sense, it's, it's not uh, a normal love story. And we see that kind of unfolding today in an unusual way. So we'll go through our text today and we'll just ask three questions as we move through it. First, what's the point of this text? And second, how does it point to Jesus? And lastly, what does it mean for us? So what's the point of this text? So if you've been following along with us in our series of Ruth, you know that today we find ourselves in the third scene. Ruth the Moabite widow has been gleaning in Boaz's field and she's been gleaning grain and and bringing it back for herself and her mother-in-law Naomi. And we're told that the harvest is about to draw near for Ruth has been gleaning almost throughout the whole time and living with her mother-in-law. And uh, the end of chapter 2 almost leaves us with this sense of Ruth uh, being provided for yet still at the same time uh, more to be desired as as she is living with her mother-in-law together and alone. So we're told as the beginning of scene three or chapter three picks up that Naomi uh, desires uh, for Ruth to get married and to in some ways move on and be fulfilled in her life. But Ruth has not done so because we know that uh, by doing so, Ruth would in some ways have to forfeit her commitment Uh, to Naomi. If she were to marry another husband, it would force her to cut ties and join a new household or make new commitments. And unless she finds the the proper man, uh, she would have to even let go of even taking care of her mother-in-law. Yet at the same time, we see as we go into scene three, Naomi has 
a genuine loving desire to see her widowed daughter-in-law Ruth to get married. In verse 1, she, she says how she wants her daughter to find rest. And we know that this is a, a deeper meaning. It's not just a, a rest, but it's a referring to, to home, a, a family. She wants Ruth to experience uh, the safety and security of a husband, the joy of raising children. She wants Ruth to have a sense of belonging and acceptance, a sense of wholeness and a fullness. And so... Naomi comes up with this plan for Ruth to pursue Boaz in marriage. And it's tough to say what exactly Naomi's intent is here. Uh, There's been some speculation, but we don't know exactly what Naomi's intent is. Uh, I I think it's uh, sufficient to say that as distant readers, we feel some sense of uncertainty and uneasiness about the instructions that Naomi gives to Ruth. And it's also safe to say that uh, the Bible is most likely here giving us a description of what has happened and not necessarily a prescription on what we should do. So, uh, sisters, if you are waiting for a husband, don't just go around uncovering men's feet in the middle of the night. Yes, it's in the Bible, but again, it's a description, not a prescription. And I imagine some wives, after hearing this, may think, um, you know what, I know how to, I know how to get them to do uh, what needs to be done. I, I imagine waking up in the middle of the night, my feet cold, having been uncovered by my wife, and I wake up startled, I'm like, well, what are you doing, honey? And she looks at me and says, can you take the kids tomorrow? Like, what? <laughs> or, or in the middle of the night, wake up, my feet are cold, and uh, I see my wife's standing there what are you doing like when are you going to hang out those frames i asked you to pick up so we don't know exactly what the intent and what's going on here but we know uh, the story isn't uh just sitting on this Uh, it's leading us and it's taking us to the main interaction which is going to be between boaz and ruth here so what are we to make of this situation as it plays out we're told that ruth goes down to the threshing floor and, and this is where, after having collect all the grain, when there is a wind or a gust, they would uh, break down all the barley and throw it up so that the wind would take away and leave just the kernels to fall. And this is how they would gather and, and reap what they have taken out in the harvest. And so we're told that Boaz here is um, preparing to do this. And so Ruth goes down to the threshing floor finds where Boaz has fallen asleep as he's guarding his pile of grain. And she does exactly what uh, Naomi instructs her to do. She goes down and covers his feet and lays by his feet and waits. And at midnight, Boaz notices his feet has been uncovered and a woman is lying there. He's startled and he he jumps up. And if you look with me in verse 9, once more, he asked her to identify herself, and this is how Ruth answers. She says, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. Now, this phrase has a, a bit of a double meaning here. First, um, it's basically a marriage proposal. Ruth is asking Boaz to take her under his wings, 
under his care, under his provision. And secondly, by doing this, she is also recognizing that Boaz is a man that embodies God's character. She's uh, alluding to the fact um, in chapter 2 how Boaz said that Ruth coming by coming to his field to glean that she has actually sought um, care and refuge under God's wings. And so here Ruth is looking at Boaz uh, as a man that is filled with godly character and, and, and she's asking him to redeem her, to spread his wing, so to speak, to care for her and, and to ultimately be married to her. So if you look in uh, chapter 2 and 12 with me again, this is how uh, Boaz uh, encourages Ruth. He says, The Lord repay you for what you have done, and the full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel under whose wings you have come to take refuge. So we see here that Ruth isn't simply desiring worldly refuge, worldly security, through a wealthy man but through Boaz she's seeing that as he is a godly man as he is a faithful man she is desiring for him to take her in and to redeem her and to care for her not just the physical needs but perhaps even the deep spiritual needs of leading her and teaching her and guiding her uh, what it means to even love and serve the Lord in more faithful ways I think there is something for us to be gleaned here as we think about how often uh, we may um, look for a a spouse, a husband or wife, or we look for a man and woman. Uh, We see here that uh, Scripture really encourages us and shows us glimpses of uh, this worthy man, Boaz, and even this worthy woman, Ruth. So, So Ruth comes utterly vulnerable, There is utter vulnerability in in a circumstance where she's completely at his mercy. It's in the middle of the night. No one knows she's there except her mother-in-law. And she lays down at his feet. And Boaz, we we know that Boaz is not a direct brother of Ruth. Ruth's death, excuse me, Boaz is not the direct brother of Ruth's Ruth's dead husband. And so he has no legal obligation to bring her under his wings. In fact, Boaz is closer in degree with Naomi. We are told that he's part of the clan of her husband. So here, there is no pressure on Boaz. If he turns her down, no one will know. He doesn't have to save face and accept her because it's the honorable thing to do. Uh, No one would know if he would just say, No, I, I, I can't. I don't want to redeem you. Please go back. And at the same time, as a worthy man, he's not standing there thinking, oh, what happens on the threshing floor stays on the threshing floor. He, he doesn't take advantage of her. He doesn't take advantage of the situation. He sees this woman in utter vulnerability, in utter submission, in utter uh, uh, request and humility to be redeemed by him. And even though he's, he's eaten, although he's had his drink and he's married he's not uh, uh, to the point where he would dishonor the lord he responds to her in a worthy way and he says may the lord or excuse me he says may you be blessed by the lord my daughter 
more so he honors her and calls her a worthy woman as well. In other words, he calls her a Proverbs 31 woman, a, a woman who fears the Lord and loves the Lord and who makes an excellent wife. Throughout all the gray and suggestive tension between Boaz and Ruth, we see that they conduct themselves in a worthy manner before the Lord. Ruth's ultimate desire is for her and Naomi to be redeemed and restored, and Boaz is willing to do it. This is not a, a love story driven by unbridled passion or romance. Rather, it's, it's based on a deep understanding of living life before God's faith. Living life under His wings, under His refuge, and His provision. A love that's based on commitment and honor and fearing the Lord and desiring to, to act and live in a worthy way before God. Again, Boaz, is, he's an older man, and Ruth is, is significantly younger than him. And we may think that Ruth might be some delicate, foreign, and beautiful young woman, uh, but at the same time, that, that's not necessarily the fact. We see that Boaz, uh, we, see the, we see that um, Ruth um, is not some, some delicate flower, that she is a sturdy woman. She can work all day in the fields and, and carry home about 80 pounds of grain to provide for Naomi. It's not a typical romantic, um, saturated with this type of passion type of love story, but it's a love story that goes beyond simple feelings and emotions and momentary passions and flashes of desire. It's a love story that seems to go into and reach into a deeper uh, understanding and desire to be loved and be loved with a sense of security that's not simply exchanged between a man and a woman, but ultimately given through the provision of God. So we see here that the interaction between Boaz and Ruth, as Boaz here, acts as the redeemer, and as Ruth is the recipient and desires to be redeemed, points us to a larger love story that we see in the gospel. And, and this might be cheesy, and it might be an, an easy grab, but as we really think about this, this unfamiliar and even unusual type of love story and proposal and marriage and commitment, we see it in a fuller sense uh, in the way that God loves his people through Jesus. So the point is that Ruth goes down and lays at her Redeemer's feet in all vulnerability. And he blesses her and commits to redeem her. So how does this point to Jesus? Well, if you look with me in Ezekiel 16, 8, we see that this is what the Lord says. It says, when I passed by you again and saw you, behold, you were at the age for love, and I spread the corner of my garment, or wings here, over you and covered your nakedness. I made my vow to you and entered into a covenant with you, declares the Lord God, and you became mine. And here we see the parallels of how God makes his people his own we see how he spreads his wings his garments over and covers over the nakedness the brokenness the shame the needs of his people and he vows and he enters into a covenant a marriage and he says you are mine you are mine 
throughout the Bible, we see that God doesn't simply have this type of uh, transactional or even a religious relationship with His people. Rather, it's a one of covenant and promise, like a marriage. It's a deep and intimate relationship. It's a redeeming love. It's a pursuing love, a steadfast love and faithful love. As we see in the previous chapter, as Naomi describes God with the word has said, a, a, a long enduring, a covenant keeping love. It's a relationship where one feels like they belong and no longer feels like an outsider. It's a relationship that that constantly reminds us that we are His, where God says, you belong to me. Your worth, your identity, your place in life, you are mine. It's a relationship that gives us a peace and a rest, much like what Naomi desired for Ruth in a world that rages with uncertainty. We see this ultimately in Jesus. Jesus, though he is fully God and worthy of all glory equal to God, made himself vulnerable by coming down to the world that he created by entering as a baby, born in a manger. He lived, he matured, he suffered, he was tempted in every way as you and I were, yet he never sinned. In fact, the whole reason he came was to experience all of our brokenness just so that he can pay the cost to redeem us out of that brokenness. And so before we feel the pressure to be like Ruth or be like Boaz, we see that in many ways Jesus embodies all these worthy and beautiful qualities of a redeemer and even of a lover who in vulnerability is willing to lay his life down for us. Jesus Jesus is the one who gave himself and committed himself to you and I. He's the one who utterly lays down his life in full submission and all vulnerability to sin and death so that all those who are under his wings would only see the shadow of death as we are given a new life, a new identity in him. He's the one in utter vulnerability and humility as he lays down his life as he asks us to come under his wing and to take care of us. At the same time, Jesus is the ultimate redeemer. Jesus is the one who gave up all things so that we would have everything in him. See, the world often looks at Christianity and and the way we may trust in Jesus uh, with with a gray uncertainty as if... uh, much like in the situation with Boaz and Ruth, that, that, that it's, it's uncertain and it's probably just a religious thing. And, you know, this whole thing about Jesus and church is just to take advantage of you, those who are weak or those who are broken. And, and it, it's not really there to give you much. Yet for those of us who have experienced God's love and mercy, we know that that's not true. We know that when we come to Jesus in all vulnerability, in all brokenness, that He acts as a worthy Redeemer who loves us, who cherishes us, who says, I will take you under my wings. You are mine. Jesus is the worthy Redeemer. He doesn't take advantage. He doesn't make promises and doesn't keep it. He doesn't shame us or turn us away. He says, you are mine. You are mine. So what does this mean for us? 
This means that we can turn to Jesus as the worthy Redeemer, the one who loves us and pursues us. That in Jesus we have a Savior who doesn't simply let us glean from the edges of his field like a newcomer in the last row at church. No, he invites us to his table and gives us bread and wine. He gives us daily bread and even bread for life for all eternity. More so, he takes us under his wings and calls us his own. And he says, you are mine. You no longer are an outsider. Your label is no longer the foreigner, the one who doesn't belong, the one who's marked with shame, the one who has experienced brokenness and is empty. He says, you are mine. My wings are over you. You're under my care. And you belong to me. How often do we feel like Lucy, who wakes up every morning, failing to remember how she has fallen in love with Henry? How often do you and I wake up not realizing that Jesus pursues us daily, He desires to keep us under his wings, and he calls us his own. That he's the one in all vulnerability, in all humility, constantly comes and comes and comes to us day after day after day to woo us, to remind us, to make us fall back in love with him again as the worthy redeemer. What does this mean for us practically? You know, in some ways, it's easy to give our whole life to Jesus to say that, yeah, Jesus, uh, I want to give you all of my life. But we know that when those moment by moment comes day to day, it's really hard to trust in him. We know the times when we wake up in the morning and anxieties fill up our minds and the kids are awake and the dog is barking and you're already late and you have so many things to do that you just want to get through the day. And we know when evening comes and our strength is depleted and we're just bone dry out of patience that all we want to do is just veg. And even though we're fully willing to admit that there's no strength or life that's given to us by watching endless shows or movies or getting lost in our hobbies, we, 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 we're, we're, we're seldom and we're so reluctant to, to come to Jesus to just spend even a little time with him. But a practical thing, I think, for us to really exercise this week as we think about Jesus as the worthy Redeemer, the one who fully and vulnerably has given himself to us and calls us his own, is to, is to just meditate on that, that, that persistent and pursuing love for us each day. To meditate it, on it, and in, in, in some ways, like Ruth, to go down and to lay at his feet. And so a practical thing I would challenge us uh, to, to just commit to, even maybe just for this week, is to go to Jesus in prayer. Uh, what does it mean to go down and lay at his feet? Maybe a practical thing. First thing when you wake up for this week in the mornings, first thing you do, as soon as you roll out of bed, just roll right onto your knees on the ground and just pray and say, God, I'm already anxious. I'm tired. There's so much on my mind. I'm so used to doing it all my own strength. But, but, but would you give me the strength? I, I, I can already anticipate the moment-to-moment with my coworkers, with my children, with trying to get all the tasks done, me forgetting about your love for me, me, me forgetting about 
the identity that I have in you and you you calling me your own, but would you help me to remember in those moment-to-moment, Lord, help me to surrender not just my whole life, but today to you. And just have that brief time in prayer in the morning just to, just to lay at his feet. And, and you know, I, I know a lot of times we don't really pray like that. We think it's overly pious and it might be inauthentic. We don't want to just go through the motion. But frankly, if we never go through the motion, we never find ourselves moving anywhere. And a, a simple practical way uh, for us, you know, perhaps to exercise this this week, is just in the mornings, just first thing, before our schedule and our mind and our hearts get filled up with all the worries of the world with with all the labels and before we 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 feel the pressure of being a mother or a father or a, a an employee come and and as one author has put it don your identity as a child of god before anything you do that day and i think that'll really help us to practically live and stay under the wings of our Savior who pursues us each day to remember how good it is to be under His refuge, to be in His redeeming and pursuing love. So the gospel message is simple, that Jesus is the worthy Redeemer who pursues us every day. So friends, brothers and sisters, can we really strive to not just be a better Christian, not to just try to be more faithful, but to be real and honest and just be vulnerable each morning and say, God, Jesus, take me under your wings to almost propose and recommit each morning to the Lord. And I'll confess to you that that's difficult for me to do as well. But I, I want to ask us to to strive to be vulnerable with the Lord. And I think we'll be really encouraged to see how the Lord continues to pursue us in those honest moments. Will you join with me in prayer?